Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And welcome into another edition of More Outdoors, 7 9 each and every Saturday morning. Glad you tuned us in. Boy, we had some really good fishing reports this morning, uh, speckled trout fishing picked up, and that's to be expected. You get to the month of May, waters warm up, you get a full moon, it's spawning time, fish get very active. I uh, do have a monkey wrench kind of thrown into the whole thing with that high Mississippi River, Bonnie Carry spillway open, causing some displacement and some problems with uh, speckled trout. Uh, also, the shrimp growth not anticipated to be as it normally would because of the colder Less salty waters, but all that hopefully will work out as we move into the summer months and the fishing picks up. This morning we've got a couple of topics we're going to be talking about. Eight to nine is our regular hunt fish talk roundtable discussion with some fellow Outdoor Rider Association members. The president of the association, Wendy Billiot, will be here with us. Also Keith Lusher, who hosts the program called North Shore Fishing Report, heard on this station each month. And he's also got a website by the very same name. We're going to talk about what Alabama, our neighboring state, has done uh, to try to compensate for the the lack of speckled trout and flounder. They have taken some serious actions, reducing size limits, increasing minimum size, and in hopes that that will restore their fishery for speckled trout and flounder. Louisiana came out with a, a similar report. Although it was preliminary and it, the study is still ongoing, but initial indications are that the speckled trout population in Louisiana has been overfished for several years, and they're going to offer some steps to turn that around. I don't know the time frame on this, but I would think for at least the rest of this year we probably won't see any changes. But uh, hopefully when Wildlife and Fisheries gets their options together, uh, they'll get in touch with us, and we'll let you know. I, I took some poll information that's very interesting, and I'll share that with you in that 8 to 9 o'clock hour about what Louisianians would, would want. Don't know that they'll get a choice. Uh, I would hope that the State Department would offer the users uh, several different methods to get where we need to be. Uh, there's always more than one way to skin a cat, as they say, and to get the speckled trout and flounder numbers back up to uh, a viable SPR, which is spawning potential ratio, that's the measurement of how healthy the stock is. Uh, it's going to take some cuts and possibly some deep ones. And how deep? Well, we'll get to that and talk about that later on. But this hour, we're joined by a couple of guests, Josh Goins and also Ronnie Doucette with the Flyway Federation USA. Uh, those of you who were back with us uh, oh, a month or so ago, uh, Josh was on with us. We also had some representatives from Delta Waterfowl and Ducks Unlimited. <clears throat> it's no secret if you're a waterfowl hunter, there's been a lot of concern about uh, an alarming trend, which the seasons just have kind of dried up. We and, and there's been a variety of different weather conditions and habitat conditions, and it seems one constant in the whole thing is that we seem to be seeing less birds the further south you go. And it's not just Louisiana. There's other states. And we're looking for causes and corrective measures, and the Flyway Federation was pretty much born out of that need. And in fact, I'll let Josh Goins, the guy who founded it, explain to you exactly what the Flyway Federation USA is all about. Good morning, and good morning to you too, Ronnie. Good morning, Don. Good morning. 
Josh, if um, you would, uh, tell us about Flyway Federation. Uh, how did it get started and what's the purpose of it? Flyway Federation was founded um, in hopes to raise awareness to waterfowl hunters across the South and across the nation of a growing problem that I've witnessed. And I was I was trying to bring this problem to light and go around and ask other people if they were having the same problem. And whenever it led to seeing that everyone was seeing the same thing that I was, I knew that something had to be done. Hey, Josh, you there? Hey, hey Don, I seem to have lost Josh. Oh, okay, okay. Well, go ahead and pick it up where you left off. Ronnie, uh, I would like for you to touch on what Flyway Federation's movement is uh, moving towards and what our goals are. All right, love to. Hey, Don, I'm a little back history. I I live here in Cameron Parish. I've duck hunted 40 years. Uh, I've commercially guided for right at 30, about 29 this coming year. Um, and I met Josh, and what really brought to my attention is that um, I, if we think back to the heydays of duck hunting in Louisiana, you know, in my lifetime, it was the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, it was it was what we've always heard of. Uh, we, what I saw every morning, I wish that I could sit, get imprint in my kids and my grandkids so that they would be able to, to enjoy this. And when Josh, when I met Josh, he told me that he asked me what was the best years. And I, I told him the exact same thing I just told you. And then he told me, what if I would tell you there's three times or four times me ducks as now as I were then? I was like, there's no way, Josh. And uh, he sure started showing me the numbers, and it really opened my eyes. And I can't think of anybody. He asked me, what, when did I start seeing decline in the duck hunting? I told him I thought it would start at about year 2000, and it's just steadily getting worse. Well, Josh presented me with some numbers that showed exactly what I was seeing. He showed me some, some changes that happened up north, and uh, I was I was like, well, wow. those What he's telling me, lines up exactly with what I personally experienced. And back in the, uh, I, I lived in Oklahoma for five years when I was in my early 20s, and I actually hunted there and majority of the time. And I actually, we killed a lot of ducks back then. But the difference between then and now is the ducks migrated through. This duck season started on the panhandle about the 1st of October and usually by the first week of January the duck season was gone and the reason was because there was no ducks left and they had, we, had a, we had a real good seasons back there a high success but the bird, birds moved further south well now the birds are stopping they're moving as you know uh, more and more people are going to the middle part of the United States because that's where they seem to be concentrating and not going any further south and uh, Josh opened my eyes to that and I'm the kind of guy, you tell me something, it's one thing, but I'd kind of like to go do a little research on my own and see if what he's telling me is really true. And, Don, I've got to tell you, so far I've I've challenged Josh on about everything. Every time I've ever asked him for something, he has went out and found it and came back with the facts to me, and it's it's pretty overwhelming, some of the things that he's found. And what are some of those things, that the questions that you raised and, and Josh's research verified? 
Well, uh, first thing is, where are the, you know, what is the population of the birds? Have they really increased? And that's been founded. Where are the ducks then? Well, the ducks are starting to be, according to the Forbes Biological Station that's in um, Illinois, they're doing counts, weekly counts through the winter, and their numbers over the last 10 years have just been going higher and higher and higher, and that's regardless of the weather. Well, that's not where they're naturally supposed to be at that, you know, we're talking about December, January, there's not supposed to be, you know, 75,000 gadwalls or gray ducks in Illinois on one, one location. They're, you know, they're supposed to migrate down. Now, people do argue about the mallards and things. Uh, I understand mallards being a hardy duck and they migrate south, but I couldn't understand why the birds were, were staying there. And then Josh started showing me this practice of what they call hot cropping, which is basically flooding, flooding commodity crops, in particular corn. And what that did, is, and he showed me pictures and data showing how many places that were doing that up there. And we have, at the time, there was no number of how many acres or had any clue of how many acres was that was being done for or on. So, we, you know, nobody knew. Well, since that time, we started to look into it, and it's, it's pretty eye-opening. But whenever they, I would have never thought that they would ever allow flooded corn to be, you know, corn to be planted, flooded, and hunted over. I just didn't know it was something that had changed. It was never allowed in the past, and I thought it was still a common practice, you know, outlawed. And come to find out that's not true. And um, it really has made a real impact on our puddle ducks. Even though that our diving ducks are still coming down to Louisiana and the Gulf Coast at a higher number than they've ever came before. And that worries me as well because diving ducks are a hardy bird. It takes a lot to push them out of the north. They'll stay on the freeze line or even above the freeze line as long as they can. But we're seeing canvasbacks, redheads, ringnecks, and especially scalp at a number we haven't seen since the 70s. And there's something something not right when all these diving ducks are continuing to come down. But we're, I can only speak from southwest Louisiana, but our puddle duck numbers are just, it's like someone turned off the faucet. Well, I can tell you on the eastern side, it was a similar situation. <clears throat> Divers showed up really good numbers this year, uh, while some of the experts blame <laughs> the wet, warm winter on a lack of puddle ducks. But if the diving ducks come, as you say, they're a hardier species, and it takes a lot harder weather to drive those guys down. They're usually the last to show up. And when they showed up, it kind of does make you wonder why exactly don't we have the number of puddle ducks. Uh, when I was a young kid, I mean, we had a sufficient number of greenhead mallards that would come down to southeast and south-central Louisiana, which we have. I haven't seen a wild mallard uh, maybe one or two over the past five or six seasons. But virtually, we don't even consider those a huntable bird here anymore. I mean, we've gone pretty much to gray ducks and widgeon, teal, <clears throat> pintails on occasion. But uh, as far as mallards, uh, they just quit coming over this way, and, and which is proof to me that along with what's happened with the Canada geese, that migration patterns can be altered uh, against what some of the, the popular belief is. They say that you really can. It's mother nature and you can't really take uh, the urge to migrate away from a bird. But in those instances, I, I believe we've actually witnessed it. Well, I got a, you brought up a good point with the Canada geese. <clears throat> they did that within 10 years. 
Um, that was a consorted effort by the wildlife and fisheries to open up opportunities for the north. Totally understand that. But by doing that, by allowing them to uh, enjoy the resource, it robbed us of the same resource. And at that time, there wasn't a bunch of pushback because, you know, we still had uh, snows and a lot of ducks. <clears throat> and at the time, white-fronted geese specks weren't as prevalent as they are now. They've kind of shifted. They kind of filled the void of the Canada goose. So, you know, there was some give and take. The problem now is there's nothing left to fill the void. Once you've taken away the uh, um, the Canada goose, and now you're starting to get the puddle ducks to stop, and so it's slowing down. Those same practices are slowing down the goose migration as well. And, um, you know, we, we touched on a lot of different factors. Well, the one factor that I hear over and over, <clears throat> especially by people that are below 30 years old, and I realize they weren't here back in the 70s, and they don't, they just see them in their personal lifetime. But they talk about the pressure. I can only speak from my point of view, from what I've seen. The pressure in southwest Louisiana marshes has fallen off significantly since 1976 to where we are now. Uh, and because of the lack of success, well, if you look at some of the other places, I'm going to touch on, on Missouri because that seems to be a, a hotbed state. Um, that everybody's talking about. The third most populated county in Missouri has over 120 hunting clubs in it. The majority of those have sprung up since the year 2000. 120 hunting clubs. Now, I, I realize that those are not commercial clubs. The majority of them are private. But it's still the same thing. If you can, If the third most populated county, which is roughly about half the size of Cameron Parish, has 120 hunting clubs, that is, that's a lot of pressure in a small area. But they're still having success, and that's where the birds seem to be, to be holding. So something's, something has definitely changed. And the arguments that I'm hearing about the weather, that look at last year, the, uh, not the 18-19 season, but the 17-18 season, that was the coldest winter that I remember since uh, probably the late 80s, me personally experiencing it. And we, the flight wasn't there. In fact, the colder the days would get, it appeared to me, in my experience, the less duck we would actually see. So something's, something's happening. And uh, we, all these arguments that we're having about pressure, about lack of agriculture, uh, coastal erosion, pressure, we're not taking any of those away. We're, we realize that each and every one of those is a piece of the puzzle and has value and some more value than others. But we can only address one issue at a time, and what's, what particular issue has changed dramatically since 2000? Uh, the weather's not changed. They actually, if you look at it, the weather has gotten, the snow cover has actually gone up in the last 50 years. Uh, if you look at two years ago, we had plenty of weather to push the birds down. The hunting pressure has fallen off here. Yes, we have lost some some crops um, over the last 20 years. But what about Arkansas, who's planting more rice than they've ever planted in their existence, and they're seeing the same thing, if not worse, than, than coastal Louisiana. The coastal erosion is an issue, and we need to address that. There's no, no doubt about that. But that is a long-term problem that is going to have to have a lot of money 
invested in. And it's going to have to be a consorted effort to get that done. The one thing that we can that, that's changed since 2000 that is something that we can address and we can try to correct is the practice of hot cropping and hunting over unharvested, flooded, unharvested. We have people say, oh, it's not really that much of an issue. It's not having that kind of impact. You know, it's we're making mountain out of molehills. Well, Don, if it's not such a problem, if it's not such an impact, why don't they pull back and allow it to stop for five years and let's see if the migration changes? If they can, I'll be the first one to sit here and tell you, if they do away with the, the flooded unharvested five years and the ducks don't come back, hey, I was wrong. There are something, there's bigger factors here at play, and I have no clue what they are. But we're sitting here fighting amongst the hunting, the group of hunters across the country. And, Don, it's not just here on the coast. It's not just in Arkansas. You talk to hunters in Illinois, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, Nebraska. If they're, if they're not fortunate enough to hunt on flooded unharvested corn, they're having the same issues we're having. They're not seeing ducks. The ducks are going to the refuges and they're going straight to the unharvested and they're going back to the refuges. And it allows it allows more ducks to migrate back north on paper, but the ducks are going back in worse shape. It's like a kid eating candy. It's you know, it's a high in carbs, low in protein, and it's a quick fix for them. It's the birds are that's the reason Canada outlawed the practice this year is because it's they're not they two they feel it's an un, unfair unfair practice for as far as fair chase is concerned, and another one their ducks are in bad shape. So, um, Canada was the first to see it, and and really, we're really all getting to take kill Canada's ducks. They raise them. We're fortunate enough to try to pursue them every fall. But if Canada sees a problem, that's more than just uh, Ronnie and Josh thinking we have an issue. That's a whole country that basically decides how many ducks are migrating every year. Mm. All right, Josh and uh, Ron, if you'll hold on, we got to take a break here. In the meantime, is there a Facebook page or website that the listeners <clears throat> might be able to pull up and, and follow along a little bit better about the Federation? Yes, sir. Uh, we have the Facebook discussion page, Flyway Federation. Then we have the organizations page, the official page. On Facebook, Flyway Federation, and FlywayFederationUSA.com. Very good. All right, we'll be right back. And when we come back, I want to talk about what the Federation plans to do to go from here to address this problem, which is looking more and more like uh, the, the flyways are being altered. And if the unharvested flooded crops are the problem, why aren't someone, why isn't other agencies looking at it? And we'll go back to the last program we did when we had some representatives from DU and Delta Waterfowl, and we'll kind of rehash their takes on what the cause of that is. We'll be right back and listen to more outdoors, WWL, HAD 105.3 FM, and we live stream at DonTheOutdoorsGuy.com. And you can also shoot us a text message if you prefer to do that at 870-870. We're talking with Flyway Federation USA members Josh Goins and Ronnie Doucette about what is a suspected problem of, of flooding of unharvested crops, which is uh, impacting the migration trends of waterfowl. There's a lot of people who believe that. Um, if you would, Ronnie, tell us about some of the other, you know, there's a lot of empirical evidence. Social media has really come into play on this issue. 
before where there wasn't this instant communication between people who live in faraway states. That's It's a much smaller country now. And people are talking to each other and expressing what they're seeing out there in the field. And a lot of it is matching up. What other evidence besides the fact that the numbers seem to be up or steady on the overall population, but the trend is in the lower states and not even some of the not so lower states, the ones without the unharvested flooded crops, we're seeing less birds. Uh, what other evidence is there? Are there videos? Or are there people who are eyewitness to this thing? Well, there's Don. There's a we have actual video footage of it. You got testimony from other people. We have pictures of, for example, two years ago in the the height of the cold. That was the last week of December. It was the uh, 2017. Um, Tennessee has a large refuge up there, and it was getting ready to freeze over for about two weeks. Well, Tennessee is an area that historically had ducks come down, but the ducks, they weren't a flyover state, but they were more of a staging state. They would kill ducks until the freeze, and the ducks would continue south. The federal government went in there and had about 600 acres of standing corn. They bush-hogged 400 of it down, or, or about 300 down, and left the other 300 standing and added water to it in time for the freeze. And what that did, that allowed the birds immediately, as soon as they bush hogged it, added water. The, the, the corn that was in the water, the ducks went right to, and as it froze, it allowed the ducks to get up on the ice and eat the uh, eat the corn off the ear, and the ducks didn't migrate. That is the federal government doing that, which I personally feel is a problem with my tax dollars doing that. But... That's also happening on private areas right outside that are adjacent to the refuge. So when you have these people that are, you know, money is not really an issue, and it's not the deciding factor on whether or not they kill ducks. They're willing to spend the money to uh, to keep the water open, which to uh, plant the, the crops. And when you've got a, generations of ducks that have never made it to Louisiana, never made it to Arkansas, all they know is to fly down to the central part of the United States, congregate in big numbers, and fly out and feed on on provided food plots. They don't know anything else. And um, there's people, Jeff Foyles, I'm sure you're probably familiar with who Jeff Foyles is. He's from uh, Illinois. He's a well-renowned call maker and hunter. And he himself has said that flooded corn is the largest single-handedly killing duck hunting in america that's not me saying that that's him who lives they at one time called him the king of corn and he said you're right i do it and have done it because it's legal but i don't think it's right so this is not this is not a a south population or a, you know a coastal population problem this is something that's a problem that's having all through the country and um i think that we're we're making a generation of hunters that, one, don't appreciate fair chase. They don't appreciate the, the calling, the working of the birds, the actual bird itself. They just want to go out, um, enjoy the company, set in a blind, you know, kill a, kill a bunch of ducks, get back to go about their life as quick as they can. Um, it's not the heritage that's been here in Louisiana. We've had a our grandparents did it. Our fathers did it. We do it. Our kids do it. Our grand, We hope that our grandkids, it's a way of life, and we instill in them that we should appreciate the birds and how much we love it and enjoy it. 
and it should be the same way across all the flyways. There shouldn't be in Washington one particular club is on 600 acres of flooded corn, and they take over 8,000 birds a year on 600 acres. You know, and that's Washington was historically a state that the birds came into, fed, and went south. No problem with that. Our birds get here later. We don't sometimes. Um, we have good years. We have bad years. The, the, when the years when the winter's not as cold, historically, we didn't kill as many ducks. But that's all changed. That playing field has been, it's not level anymore. They, the years that we don't have the weather, the ducks don't make it down even to Arkansas. Um, the ducks just realize they can congregate on this open water and keep the water open or just, uh, if they can hold off for three or four days, things are going to defrost. And it, but prior to that, it didn't happen because once uh, the crops in the fields, when if they were harvested crops, once they were covered with uh, snow or rain, you know, they were compromised, so the birds continued south. That's not the case anymore. Well, um, we'll have to take another break in a second, but just to, to revisit the, the program that Josh and I did earlier in the year, um, we had representatives, the top biologists and scientists, in fact, the president of Delta Waterfowl, who's also a biologist and a scientist, and also for Ducks Unlimited. And when, with all of this speculation, and, and a lot of it is, is, is really good, hard evidence. I mean, there's videos showing it. There's people's testimony, eyewitness from several states. Uh, they have been asked to, to look into it, at the very least, and, and, and get these organizations all together do some studies and find out what impact it is actually having, and then maybe offer some corrective action. But I got to tell you, and I'm, I'm sure you're aware, Ronnie, that uh, they just don't buy it. They don't buy that it's happening. They still want to stick to the habitat degradation, the wet, warm winter, which I, I don't see that. You, you brought up very uh, appropriately that we've had some cold weather, and it's still the trend is that they have less birds moving down the flyway. So all that being said, um, and I just got a text question in, and I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then when we come back, you can answer it. Uh, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. The question is, what has been the consensus from the past town hall, Department of Wildlife and Fisheries meetings? The one I went to downplayed and dismissed, but did say it was a problem, and these organizations become more cons conservation than pro-hunter. Very uh, pointed question and very important one to answer. And we'll be right back to do that. Josh Goins, Ronnie Doucette, Flyway Federation USA. You want to text a question or a comment, it's 87087. Or if you prefer to call us, it's 504-260-6368. We're talking about the impact of flooding unharvested crops to the migration patterns of North American waterfowl. Flyway Federation USA an organization that's the fastest-growing conservation organization probably in the nation right now. And if you want to find out more information about it, go to their Facebook page, and we'll tell you more about it if we come back right after this timeout. And welcome back in. I guess this morning, Ronnie Doucette. We also have Josh Goins, Flyway Federation USA. We're talking about altered migration patterns of North American waterfowl, what could be the possible cause which is causing uh, a serious problem for hunters. People are getting out of the sport. They're giving up leases simply because of lack of birds. Uh, some of our agencies and conservation organizations believe it is the result of habitat degradation, also combined with some wet, warm winter. However, some of the evidence points in another direction. 
Uh, Ronnie, I, I want to talk about Ducks Unlimited. They're the largest of the organizations. Delta Waterfowl is second. Um, and then, of course, we have a flyway council, which has had a meeting. And then in a minute, I want to talk about our local state, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. But have you spoken to any of the people with Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, and, and possibly the, the Flyway Council, which is kind of a, a conglomeration, an umbrella organization with representatives of all the different groups. Have you spoken to them and brought this to them? And if you have, what was their response on it? Well, first, Don, before we go any further, I want to point out that we are not against Ducks Unlimited or Delta. Uh, we, If it would not be for De- those two organizations, we wouldn't be sitting here today and having these conversations about ducks. Without those organizations, Absolutely. there would be no ducks. And all of us have had ties. I was past chairman of Sulphur Ducks Unlimited for two years, member of the committee for many, many, many years. We all are in this. We are, we are ingrained with Ducks Unlimited and Delta. The problem is, as we see it, and this is speaking, I'm going to speak for Ronnie here, not for the Federation. I feel that Ducks Unlimited and Delta have the best everybody's best interest at heart as far as bringing the numbers of the ducks up. They get their grants, they get their money by the amount of ducks that fly south and also the amount of ducks that fly back north to the breeding grounds every year. They don't necessarily care how many ducks that are harvested along the way. So by doing that, by making sure the most amount of ducks come down, the most amount of ducks fly back north, doesn't not necessarily mean they're going to give us the best opportunity for us to take the birds. And I think that's where the dilemma is. Um, they've, that's why they're able to count them so much. They're keeping them in large concentrations, and they're very easy to monitor. And, and the ducks, you know, the ducks are very controllable. And that's, I don't think it was intentionally done by them that way. I don't think that they realized that the ducks would just leave the refuge and go to the, the food and go back. I don't think anybody uh, ever intended George Horton, who was a regional biologist for Ducks Unlimited back in about 1999, told me personally that their goal was to have 100 million ducks throughout the country on all the flyaways, and then everybody would have opportunities. My answer to George, even back then, was, George, that's not the way ducks work. Ducks are like people. They don't just spread out evenly across the country. They're going to, they're going to body up or have large concentrations of birds in specific areas. And that's what's happening. And the birds have just uh, gone from doing it down here to doing it further north. And to get back to your original question, yes, we have reached out. We have, they've not been as receptive as we would like them to be. Uh, the wildlife and fisheries, we've tried to meet. Uh, Josh has tried to uh, get on the agenda. We have worked on a PowerPoint. We've, we've got a bunch of information together that we would like to um like to present them, like to present to everybody. We're going to have some town hall meetings coming up to inform people about what we've, at this time, we've had a private biologist, independent, look at the research, look at the data, and make sure that what we're saying is not biased, it's not fabricated, it's not half-truths. You know, we're trying to, we don't want to be made to look like, the, uh, I don't know if you want to say a fool, but that we don't know what we're talking about. So, we're wanting to fix the problem. We're not wanting to make enemies along the way. We're, we want to work with the wildlife and fisheries. We want to work with Delta. We want to work with DU. We just want to fix the problem. We want an opportunity for the ducks to leave Canada in September, for them to start killing them, and for the last 
the third week, fourth week of January along the Gulf Coast for them to have the opportunities. And so far, that's not happened. Right. Well, in a perfect world, the Flyweight Council would take this bull by the horns and wrestle with it. That would be representatives from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, representatives from Delta, DU, the Federation, and department state agencies are all represented. Uh, And if that does not happen, and it doesn't appear that it is, what is the remedy that the Flyway Federation sees? Well, we've, we've, uh, <laughs> this is a dilemma. We've got a group of attorneys that's advised us through it, and we're trying to uh, reverse the changes that were made in the Migratory Treaty in 1998. We're trying to do the exact, follow the exact same steps that were followed previously. The way the definitions were changed, uh, we'd like to follow the same steps and get them reverted back to the the way they were prior to 98. So what will it take to get that done? Is that going to be legislation or, or going to just be directed through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service? I think I don't think there's going to be one single-handed, uh, single-pronged attack that's going to work. I think it's going to take some lobbying. I think it's going to take some people grassroots writing their congressmen, putting pressure on it, and it's going to take uh, some some money invested to to push it through the legislation. And the thing about the council, in my opinion, uh, you're looking, you have, what do you have, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi that are really suffering tremendously on our part of the council. The, the Oklahoma, Missouri, everybody north of that, they're actually benefiting. So if you've got a, you got a council, council, we've got a stack deck against us on, on that. Um, so I don't I don't know how we're gonna how we're gonna make that happen. I'm, I would hope that for the better betterment of the ducks, but those states are actually seeing an increase in revenue from out of state hunters um, going to that area to to take ducks, and uh, those guys up there are benefit from me, and I perfectly understand it. They they have an opportunity there, and uh, they're capitalizing on it. So I don't know how how open minded. The council's going to be, but I would hope for the betterment of ducks that we could all make something happen, get together, and, and see that there is an issue. Right. Well, as far as, as good conservation and to keep the heritage of duck hunting going for future generations, that's one aspect of it. But there's also an, an economic angle at this thing. I mean, the state of Louisiana and some of these other states, I'm sure they could show economic losses due to the lack of, of waterfowl coming here, and might that be a, a route to take? Is to actually, you know, go in and into the courts and and show that you know, using taxpayer money, they're actually uh, hurting the the economies of several states and and putting it into the coffers of others. And I don't think that's a well, function of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Uh, Conservatively, we've looked over the last 20 years, and uh, if we figure with the with the hunter loss on stamps, that if we lost two thousand dollars per hunter per year, that's I feel it's a conservative number because that's including everything: uh, shotgun shells, lease boats, camouflage. If if they we use two thousand dollars as the multiplier, it's over three billion dollars that Louisiana has lost. Since 2000, and that number's going up quicker and quicker every year. Um, 
And yes, that, that's the reason we're speaking with the attorney group, because we realize that this is going to be something that that we may not be able to uh, to lobby out. Yeah, it, it may take litigation. Uh, if you'll stay with me, guys, we're going to take one last break and we come back. Uh, if people are listening to this and they believe in and agree with the Flyway Federation's philosophy and that something needs to be done and, and studies and address this situation. If they want to get involved in the organization, waterfowl is a very passionate people. It's unfortunate when they decide to just walk away from it. And I can remember when we went to three ducks in a 30-day season, we lost 50% of the duck hunters in Louisiana. A lot of them went to deer hunting, never came back. Some did when some of the ducks started to return, but – you know, and that was with just a, 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 a sporadic change in the limits and in, in, in season dates. If uh, there's just no ducks worth going out there and paying a lease and sitting in a blind and spending the money and training dogs, uh, they may be gone for good. And, and that would be really to the detriment of waterfowl conservation, not just hunting. It takes money, and that's where the money comes from to keep duck populations healthy is from the license fees and the special taxes on all the equipment. And without that, uh, it could actually bring about the end of waterfowl hunting or only in very few places where people can afford to do it. We'll be right back. If you want to get a quick uh, text message in to us, it's 870-870. Come right here at the studio. Or if you prefer to call us and talk with Ronnie or, or Josh, it's 504-260-6368. We're back right after this. And we're talking with Ronnie Doucette and Josh Goins, Flyway Federation USA. And if you've been listening and visiting their website and Facebook page, and you agree with the mission and what they're trying to accomplish and getting uh, a, really a, a good, clear answer on our uh, migrating waterfowl being altered on their patterns and during the migration periods. Uh, Ronnie, how can people get involved? What is involved in membership? And I understand you're going to have the town hall meeting across the state and you're looking for volunteers. And, and by the way, being a multiple member of DU Delta Waterfowl and the Flyway Federation. Yes, sir. Uh, you can go to the website to, or the Facebook page where we have membership. Uh, where we got a real push, a push right this. What we're doing, trying to do right now, is the town hall meetings that you touched upon. We're going to try to have nine of them spread out throughout the state. And what it's going to do is we're going to have give an opportunity to face-to-face, present them with some the PowerPoint, some of them be able to look at any of the facts that they care to look at and be directed on how, if they want to do some research themselves, um, be directed on how to go find these things. Because, honestly, you need to be a New York lawyer to understand the treaty <laughs> and the, the register. Um, so it's we're, we're really – we've got the majority of – uh, we've got some really good people. This is a very grassroots organization. We have people that are stepping up throughout the state. The one place that we're having a little bit of trouble, Don, is uh, southeast part of Louisiana by getting someone to be able to help us to, to kind of run point on setting up the town hall meetings in the home area. But the rest of the meetings throughout the uh, throughout the state, we've we've got we've been very fortunate about people stepping forward and and willing to. Uh, to you know, give their time and and their effort, along with their money, to try to correct this problem. Um, this is not a fight that's going to be quick or easy or cheap. Um, and nobody, Don, none of us want to be in this position. We don't want to have to to go down these roads. But 
something needs to happen whenever, because I want my grandchildren to be able to spend the time and enjoy the passions that I did and see the things that I did in my life. And, and I don't see, I don't see it happening. If it continues the next 10 years, like it's been the last, um, my grandkids won't hunt. I mean, that's just a matter of, matter of fact. That's sad. Well, for that home area, uh, who should someone contact? If we've got someone there that's feeling very passionate, wants to get involved, believes in the Flyways Federation's mission, uh, who should they contact? They can get a hold. They can get on the uh, Flyway Federation page. Uh, they can contact either Josh Goins or myself via messenger if they would like, uh, or they can just post on the uh, uh, post on the page saying that they would like someone to contact them, and uh, we will, someone be, will be in contact, guarantee it. And when might you release the locations and dates and times for those town hall meetings across the state? I would say we have it, we have some very important meetings coming up in the next 30 days, and we don't want to set up the town hall meetings prior to having these meetings uh, both and in, in not just in the state of Louisiana, these are these are also meetings set up in Arkansas as well. So we're wanting to uh, to be able to know the outcome of these couple of meetings. We've got a four or five real important meetings. We got two that are very very significant. So um, we're wanting to be able to to get through those meetings and be able to tell our members, you know, give them the exact where we stand at this time and what under advisement what the best course of action is going to be and uh, what we think the outcome is going to be and time frame and the financial burden and everything that's involved in that well uh, i know you'll you and josh will get me the dates times and locations and we can make those uh, announcements on the air and let people know when and where they will be as far as what people can do working through their elected representatives and officials uh, we do have a governor's race coming up in louisiana uh, several other positions are up, and people sometimes rely on on getting help. This is not just a Louisiana issue, as you said. It's 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 really a whole flyway and almost a national issue. We have representatives in Washington. Uh, have they been contacted, and how receptive have they been to to the issue? Don, uh, I'd like to answer this one, Ronnie. Um, Ralph Abraham has really stepped up. He's written letters on our behalf to the Secretary of Wildlife and Fish and to the Department of the Interior, and he has shown a lot of support in uh, helping us. He's a diehard duck hunter himself and conservationist. So moving forward, we have discussed, uh, we've asked our members to write letters. We even drafted a letter for them to send to their representatives, but we're currently working on a um, link for them to click on in their individual states. They'll be able to go to our website, click on their state, and they click on the link, and it automatically ties to their email, and it will send a letter to every state representative, congressman, senator in their individual state. Very good. And, of course, uh, you know, uh, when the campaigns start, this needs to be an issue that should be brought up. It's very near and dear to the people's heart in Louisiana. People who don't hunt, don't hunt waterfowl, they may not understand it, 
but it certainly is is a passion for a lot of people and certainly one that deserves some attention. And I think that when the elected officials get wind of it, and as some have, they're going to maybe take some action on this. And unfortunately, that may be what it's going to take. Hopefully it won't go through litigation, but something can be done way before that and get things back on track. Guys, yeah. y'all have any closing comments before we wrap up here? Anything we may have missed that you want to get out to the audience? Well, Don, I'd like first thank you for having us on. And second thing, tell them that it looks like if I was saying it'd be the month of July, we're going to have the town hall meetings, and we would look forward to being able to shake everyone's hand and uh, being able to give them an opportunity to see this firsthand. And the more people that come out and communicate through the Federation, the more, you know, evidence and, and, you know, observations. Those are very important, you know. It's, you know, you can sit in an office and and, and look at statistics, but for the people that are out there in the field, the hands-on grassroots people, I, I don't know if there's any better evidence than that. And the more of it we get, the more data, the better decisions can be made from that. Yes, sir. Well, thank you both for spending some time with us. Uh, Good luck in the future, and please keep us up to date on what's happening with the Federation, and look forward to getting you guys on for our next conversation. Thanks, Don. Thank you, Mr. Don. All right, thank you, guys. All right, Flyway Federation USA. Check out the website or Facebook page. Look at it. Read the information. There's a lot of research there, and if it makes sense to you, if you agree with it, you want to get involved in the issue, Uh, Certainly directions on on how to do that. All right, coming up in the second hour of More Outdoors, we're going to switch gears from uh, waterfowl, ducks, and geese to white-tailed deer baiting permit. Uh, Alabama has adopted that, and they are actually selling them now for hunting white-tailed deer and feral hogs over bait. Uh, Is that a money grab, as some people are saying, or is there reasons for it, and is it a good idea or bad idea? We've had legal baiting in Louisiana as long as I can remember having hunting deer, would it be good to get a permit going here? Is it necessary? And also, Alabama has put in some tightened regulations and restrictions on their speckled trout and flounder fishing. Louisiana is faced with a similar problem. They are recognizing that it has been overfished. And what will be the remedies for that? What would you like to see? What do the statistics show? And is that tightening of the belt that Alabama has done a similar fix for Louisiana's problem. We'll be discussing that with Keith Lusher of the North Shore Fishing Report, also the Bayou woman Wendy Billiot, president of Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association. It's called Hunt Fish Talk, and it's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.